friends, and welcome back to the Sailor's Daughter podcast, where we are learning how to navigate personal and professional resilience. I'm very excited for today's guest. Her name is Lisa Blasser. I met her via LinkedIn. Earlier this year, I was having a bit of a rough time, which is very much an understatement with school and just what most people will call the 2L slump. If you are in law school, you may have heard of that. It is very real. And Lisa was one of the people who gave me a pep talk and I was just a random student that reached out to her on LinkedIn and she actually made time to speak with me over the phone and talk through what I was going through. And that interaction really stuck with me. So I'm very excited to get to speak with her today about what she does, which is coaching law students for academic success. The way she approaches academic success, I think, is fitting for any student. So I think that you will very much enjoy this episode if you are a student, regardless of the program you're in. I think some of the things that she brings up, some of the subjects that she talks about will be applicable. For example, uh, Lisa kind of walks us through what it means to focus on the small gains each day. What is metacognitive thinking when it comes to studying? How do we figure out our learning preferences and styles in creating a study approach for our classes? How do we create a specific study process and figuring out what kinds of students we actually are? And one of my favorite sections, mainly because I have personal experience with this and Lisa helped me through that, was how to come back after a life setback. And when I say that Lisa helped me through it, I um, I haven't been a student of hers. Uh, she was kind enough to just let me vent to her one day. Um, but as many of you probably know, sometimes those fleeting interactions we have with people end up being some of the most impactful. And that was definitely what I walked away with from that conversation with her. So I hope that you take away something from this episode today when it comes to your studying, your academic goals and how to be an effective student. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for speaking with me today. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to be here with you today and to discuss uh, developing academic resilience. Um, I feel like you would be the perfect candidate uh, to talk on this since you work with law students and their academic success and their study methods. Um, So just to start, I would love if you could share about your journey to how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. Well, I'm Lisa Blasser, and I'm the owner of Law School Success Institute, and it's a it's a law school prep uh, company that helps, you know, law students succeed and gain confidence so that they can thrive being their authentic selves in law school. And I'm also a co-owner of my own law firm, Blasser Law, where I practice uh, catastrophic personal injury cases. Kind of my journey. Okay, so I'm a first gen. I was a first gen law student in 2001, and I really struggled in my first uh, semester of law school. And I know at the end of my semester, it was a 2.02 was my GPA. And so I figured, okay, I had I knew enough to get by. But come that second semester, I was um, I really did not uh, make the cut and I went on academic probation. My GPA dipped below a 2.0. So I um, I let myself feel all of those things that come with shame and sadness and frustration because I really was working hard, but what I was doing wasn't working for me. 
Um, and after I had enough of that, I decided to wear that status as a badge of honor. Um, and I met with my professors and students and study groups, and um, I assessed my performance and I got help from everyone that was willing, other experts. And I graduated with honors, uh, passed the California bar exam on my first attempt in 2004. And at 24, I was practicing law. So I went kindergarten to 24 practicing law. And I knew honestly that I wanted to give back to law students, something that I believe that was missing in legal education. And so I became a law professor in 2009. And then ultimately uh, by 2020, I was a director of academic success in bar prep at uh, Western State College of Law in Irvine here in California, where I'm from. And nice. so, yeah, I, during that time, I, I really, I loved my, my story, but I knew that I wanted to give students, not just my opinion on how to study, so I conducted the first qualitative phenomenological study on how, what law students, the steps law students take to thrive and honestly just love the process of law school um, from the beginning of the semester up to the final exam. So I took all the data from my interviewees and I, I eliminated the redundancies and I was left with a, a really comprehensive picture of what could be done from the start to the end to, to get the grades the students wanted. Uh, at the top of their class. And then I published the results of that study in my book, Nine Steps to Law School Success. And and then I, I, I stopped teaching and opened up Law School Success Institute to offer my programming nationwide. That's kind of my journey. Wow, that's amazing. That I love that you, um, from your own personal experience and obstacles, you not only overcame that on your own, but you went on to help other people in the same situation. Um, from that study you did, I think it would be very interesting and helpful to hear what some of the patterns were that you saw, um, not just successes, but also maybe mistakes as well. And you can take those in whichever, you know, mistakes or successes first, but just overall, what did you see keep coming up in these students? So there are a number of central themes that I noticed patterns, like, like you said, um, with the students. So these students were, um, I defined what successful was. So they had a 2.7 GPA or above, um, and they had taken a minimum of 30 units in law school. And so they were entering their, um, either their, you know, their second year, or if they were part-time, their one and a half L year. And so, um, and above it. And I had students that were, um, that were graduating and I had students that had just finished their first year or one and a half if they were part-time. Um, and some, interestingly enough, um, there were a lot of redundancies, of course, because studying in law school, there is definitely a formula, but the manner in which the students employed the skills and the thinking process that they had behind their decision to employ them at the time they did fascinated me. Um, so, I have this process, this nine step process that students can employ for every main topic, but some, you know, what's beautiful about it is because although we share the same anatomical brain, we all have our own cognitive fingerprints. And so it's really cool seeing how one process is used by thousands of students, you know, thousands and thousands of students. And so that was really interesting. Another really common, uh, cool common thread between the students is that, um, they they didn't view um, not getting the perfect grade or getting cold ca called on in class and and messing up and not having the answer. They just viewed it as they all of them. Well, that's okay because I'm really my my goal isn't to do those things. My goal is to perform at my best. And so they were motivated by the small gains that they had each day by studying every day because they were able to clearly articulate what they were doing in each topic. They knew where they were. Um, 
in every single class, they could tell you exactly what they were learning, you know, which topic, how that topic related to the others. Um, they were very clear about that. So um, they were motivated by that clarity, which is a really the result of their hard work in, in being able to articulate specifically what they were doing in each of their classes. Wow. They're a great group, the, the students that were part of the study and, and working with so many students since 2009, it's very, I mean, there isn't, there aren't, there isn't a lot of difference. The, the study process um, has changed with technology, but not really, you know, there isn't much, I mean, other than the skills that we do to succeed. And so when you say the study process, like as we know it in law school now, I assume you're referencing like outlining and, you know, this kind of like very formulaic approach to studying for law classes. Is that what you're referencing? I am. Um, really though, the students in my study, um, they they were confident for three reasons. The mm -hmm. first was that they used metacognitive thinking and assessment. They planned uh, and prepared to study. They studied and then they assessed their performance. And so they were well aware of um, how to appeal to their, they knew what their learning preferences, what their style and preference was. Mm -hmm. And they had an approach for reading, briefing, outlining, writing essays, all of the skills, right? They, they had a, a line of questions that they asked themselves. Um, as they did those things to ensure that they gained that deep understanding, which is what produced those good grades, you know? Yeah. Um, so yes, so that, so metacognition and learning preferences and, and customizing, you know, their study process. And the second is having that specific study process. Mm -hmm. And the third is really having the schedule. So knowing when they need to do the work in which class and what skill they need to do each, every single day down to the very specific, you know, page number. Yeah. Okay. And so that I was really surprised when you said um, what you found about them not being concerned about cold calls. Cause I feel like that is like, that has been my fear <laughs> since starting school. And I know that's a fear for a lot of other students. So maybe you could speak more on that. Like what was it about their focus on like the incremental gains each day and not so much worrying about these small moments where, you know, sure, you may get something wrong, but that's not like the ultimate goal. If you could speak more to that and why you think that that is so influential in your study. What a great question. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that um, they were able to to not sweat the small stuff, and we we call it small stuff, because they know what was important, and mm -hmm. they knew, um, and for them, what was important was completing the daily tasks that would ultimately get them to their definition of success. And so, so long as they were able to go to bed at night and have crossed off every single task on their list that day or their calendar, whatever app they were using, right? Everyone uses a million different things. So long as they could do that, they had the confidence that they knew, hey, there's nothing more I could have done today to prepare for that or to do better or to have a better response. And they're also, that's one. And two, they're also really comfortable not knowing the answer. Mm -hmm. So if they don't know the answer, despite their best effort, and I mean, if they're, if they, if they didn't put forth effort, then that's obviously something different. But if they don't know the answer, despite putting forth their best effort, completely comfortable in their skin saying, I don't know, or I'm going to get this wrong. And it's not a big deal because I'm not being graded in class on answering a cold call. I'm being graded on my ability to articulate my deep understanding in writing or take a multiple choice test or a short, you know, a short essay format. And if you were, so like if, let's say you're working with a student who is trying to get to that point, uh, but they're not there yet. Um, what 
first off, what are like, what do you see them doing wrong? I guess that they keep coming back to maybe like bad habits. I don't want to sound like so negative on it because if you don't know what you don't know, right? Like this person just maybe using the studying tactics they've used all the time. Um, so what would be your advice to someone who's trying to, I guess, level up and get to this point where they're not focusing on these small moments and instead understanding like where they want to be that was a very convoluted question but I think you you understand what I'm trying to get across I totally do it's my favorite <laughs> student to work with um it's absolutely the best student because um really it doesn't involve um being a law professor or a lawyer it involves being a human and share it you know honestly just putting your hand on someone's shoulder or just extending the 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 feeling of hey I'm here and I see you so let's work on loving ourselves a little bit and let's talk about why you're being so hard on yourself. Um, and let's figure out why you're not feeling like you're capable or that it's not good enough or that um, you can't get the process or you don't even know what the process, let's figure, let's like uncover, find your needle in your haystack. So it's, it's really just um, humanness, if that's a word. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just honestly like stopping, pausing on law school because law school is law school. There's other more important things, but if you don't love yourself and you don't accept yourself, you don't accept the way that you process information or the, all the steps you need to do to gain the understanding, you're never going to get it because you're frustrated with yourself or you're, you're comparing yourself or there's a little bit of imposter syndrome. We all have it. Everyone does. Um, and if that's happening, then you got to pause and you got to say, look, I need to do some personal work here first. And so when, you know, when you can figure out, am I being triggered by this atmosphere? Am I comparing myself to other students? Am I um, am I taking personal when a professor calls on me and I'm, I'm not getting it right? Am I am I attributing that? You know, what is the reason for the trigger? Why am I why am I triggered? Is it because maybe it's an untrue story that I was told my whole childhood and now I believe it? You know, and that's coming up now and it's untrue. Why am I believing that? Like uncovering those things. And once you've kind of done that self work on yourself and you realize it's not really like life in general, honestly, beyond law school, isn't that deep, right? Um, law school is not out to get you. The professors aren't out to get you. And if they are, that's a bad situation. And you can put that in its place too differently, you know? Yeah. But after you kind of work through that process and have someone kind of support and love you through it, um, the next thing is to say, well, what am I doing? What am I doing that's that, that specifically for every single class in every single topic I'm learning, how am I learning it? And assess that and then say, is there another way? Is there another way for me to try because this isn't working for me? And then starting to implement a new way and and then assessing, performing and assessing that performance and getting better and better. You know, every time you try, you have these small wins. And sometimes the win is going to class and knocking the answer out the park, you know, and the professor calls on you. Sometimes it's anticipating what's coming in the book. Like I remember um, in constitutional law, um, oh. I, I was, I, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. <laughs> okay. That was a rough class for me, but <laughs> we're here for it. <laughs> that was my civil procedure. The civil procedure was my rough one, you know, that's tough. But I could, yeah, con law is, is kind of, it's a lot of, there's a lot going on and the way that we teach it isn't necessarily linear. And so we'll jump around a lot. And so it's it's difficult sometimes for students to follow. Um, but I remember I was, I, my win one day was that I was reading in my con law book and I was thinking to myself, 
well, the very next step, like, well, wait a minute, what about this? And I turned the page and that was the topic of the next chapter. And I was like, that felt like a big win for me. So wins are different for everybody, you know? Yeah, I definitely, I remember having those moments in certain classes as well, where it's like, I'm kind of processing what the professor is saying or what we're discussing in class. And I'm like, well, why not this? Or what about this? And then sure enough, they go to the next slide or page or whatever. And that's the next question. So that was like always a great light bulb moment, you know, that I'm like paying attention to the important things and I'm where I'm supposed to be, I guess. Exactly. I'm where I'm supposed to be. Exactly. Because when you start, it's just a formula. Law school is just a formula. The bar exam is just a formula. And so when you start, you know, realizing it, you start getting really good and efficient at each of those little pieces of the formula and then it feels good. And then you have confidence, you know? Yeah. And I love your, um, what you were saying about, so it's not just kind of like diving into outlining, right? It's like making a plan for your studying, how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, doing it. And then after that, seeing if it worked for you. And the reason I love that is because my fall semester for 1L year, I had a professor who made us do that. And to this day, it was the hardest class because every um, like t- quiz or test we took, she would make us go through question by question and say, did you get it wrong? Did you get it right? What was the right answer? Why did you get it wrong? And why did you think? And like all of this analysis on top of the test that you were already stressed about, but I attribute her making us do that to my, I guess, resilience and flexibility in studying. So I was able to kind of pivot what I needed to in later classes because I had someone make me sit down and say, is how I'm doing things working? If that makes yeah. sense. It makes a hundred percent sense. It's, it's metacognition um, at its finest. That's exactly what you do. You're constantly questioning and thinking about your learning. You're not just saying, what's the issue? What's the rule? What's the reasoning? What's the outcome? You're thinking, well, how does this rule that I'm reading, how will it apply in the future? Did yeah. I understand it? Was I able to rephrase it? Asking those thinking questions you know, how, did it, was I lost? Why was I lost? You know, why did I struggle? Why did I feel angry that I have an emotional response to the, to the decision or whatever it is, you know, you're, you're, that's, that's what you're doing. Yeah. And that's what the successful students in my study did. It, it did as well. And in your study, you mentioned that you, at the very beginning, you said that you defined success for them. And I was hoping you could speak more to that, like how that influences students day to days, like are you able to define what success is for yourself? Because I would imagine someone who can't define it is probably going to have a harder time reaching it than someone who has defined it. But I may be wrong on that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I defined for the study what a successful student was. So just the parameter. So they would have 30 units completed and mm-hmm. they would have a minimum of, of 2.7 GPA, cumulative GPA at that point that they were in the study. Um, and those were the only two factors that I controlled. And okay. so, so for me, that was the definition of a success for students that were, that I wanted, that I was curious to speak to, um, mm-hmm. and to learn how they, how they were able to do that. So some of them were the 4.0 student. Like I had one student who, who literally was an orthopedic surgeon and studied for law school in between surgeries, you know, so I, <laughs> well, <Wow>. you know, <laughs> he's been practicing for 25 years in medicine and just went to law school. So, um, so the definition of success is incredibly personal for every single student, because I were with some students who they 
they, um, their goal is to get a 4.0. Some students, their goal is to get a good enough GPA to maintain their scholarship. Some students, the goal is to work at, in big law. Some students is to, you know, to get a clerkship or an internship, externship, right. To get on moot court, to get on law review. So they all, everybody has a different definition mm. and, it doesn't matter what it is, as long as you define it for yourself and you really start pushing yourself to, to figure out what steps you need to take to get there and do them, you know, do yeah. them. Have you noticed like the way, the impact that the definition that a student assigns to success has on their ability to reach it? Like, have you noticed any themes or patterns come up with helping a student figure out what is success to me and then how they move forward from that point because I feel like there's something about kind of saying like this for me is my goal this would make me feel successful that could be very empowering and liberating to people but also scary at the same time because you don't want to fail at it right so I was just curious if you've noticed any I don't know effect that having this definition would have on the student going forward so it would be used as a tool solely for motivation and solely for them to, um, you know, I have an exercise I do with a lot of my students. If, if, if they don't have one or they're struggling to, to see their value or to believe that they're enough. And the exercise is to really say, okay, um, what, what is it that I, what is it in life that makes me feel good? And what is it that, how can I, how can I translate or, um, or include my goals for getting through lot, getting my JD in that. How can I get that same feeling from those things in my life where I, I feel success and happiness? It's not money always, or it's not the job or the cars or, um, a lot of times it's the human factor again, where they want to have a connection with helping the community or helping somebody or giving back in a way that's meaningful to them. And so we, we have to morph the two. And so once we're able to really like, we're not just most of the time someone's definition of success isn't really just a grade, you know, to get the JD it's so much deeper. So because it's deeper and it's personal, it doesn't typically operate as a negative, um, it's more of a motivating factor. And if it does start to operate as a negative, then we have to step back again and assess, wait a minute, what's going on with you? Why are you, why are you making this into, you know, something blowing this out of proportion? Like what, what's going on? You know, there's something else that's creeping in there and that's causing them to stress, like not properly scheduling everything and, and work snowballing or, or not feeling comfortable with the subject and, and just not, you know, grasping it. So it's just really finding each student's, you know, um, what makes them tick and what makes them love the fact, why do you want to get your JD? You know, mm -hmm. do you want to get it? Are you here for family reasons? Are you pressured? Are you, you know, do you want to do this? And that's okay if you don't, you know, yeah. one of the funny things that um, just reminded me. So when we, a lot of students go to law school, they're in their twenties, you know, um, you know, twenties and thirties, and we haven't really figured out who we are at that point in time. And so we're doing this really big thing <laughs> and we're challenging ourselves in a way we've never challenged ourselves yeah. uh, without really taking a minute to figure out what makes us happy. Mm. And so, you know, a lot of students still feel pressure to perform for their parents and I'm not a selfish person, but I, I counsel my students, Hey, right now you have to be selfish for yourself and you have to stand up for yourself and believe that you're enough, even if you're doing things that other people don't approve of, you know, if, if people don't want you to be in law school or they want you to be in law school and you have to separate what you want from what 
your parents want or your family wants or part partners, you know, spouses, you have to like, you have to make yourself a priority, you know? And I love that because personally I've also, and I feel like everyone has, some people are just more vocal about it than others, I would imagine. Um, but this idea of like a quarter life crisis, which when you say that, it sounds funny, but I, I brought this up with my own therapist, and then I actually brought it up to one of my mentors at school. He um, is uh, the advisor for our leadership fellows program, and both of them were like, no, yeah, there's there's actual research on this, and it is a thing because you go from being a child to a teen to this young adult, so you're still kind of a teen, but not yet a full adult. And it's just weird, this weird transitory period where you're figuring out how you are as an adult, but you still feel like a child because you haven't figured out how the world works. But I'm convinced that no one really knows how the world works. So it's just, it's a very like, it's, it's real basically is, you know, what I've found out. Um, and for some reason, it's not talked about as much. And when you get into school, and I would imagine a lot of other graduate programs are kind of like this, it feels so isolated. You just go in and you're just like focused on the goal. And it can be very easily, it can be very easy to forget about the outside world, I guess, to forget like, oh, wait, you know, I'm not just a law student. I'm everything else that came before it. Um, and that includes the bad and the good. So yeah. I would imagine that that's what you're getting at, you know, is there's so much more to it than just going in and putting the pedal to the metal and trying to ace every exam, you know? 100%, 100%. There are students that are like that though. And <laughs> that's beautiful too. Like, honestly, yeah. like it's all, it is all so unique. So for the students that are that way, it's awesome for the students that aren't. It's awesome. It's okay. There's no one way to get a JD. You know, there really isn't. And, um, and we're all growing, <laughs> you know, we're all growing and learning. I had a student that was 73. She was my oldest student and, um, she's still learning and she was, she was great. You know, I, I learned so much from her, uh, and teaching 70, her 73 in law school. Mm-hmm. I love that. That is so cool. She was great. She was a really yeah. cool lady, you know, yeah. I, I really, and I kept, I've kept in touch with her. She's great. Yeah. It's funny how much you learn from people and we're all going through it and we just have to like step back and, and sometimes step away from the bravado or whatever it is and just be real. Yeah. And I, it doesn't help that I think competitiveness is, seems to be a big thing in law schools. And my um, intentions when I first started going to class was I'm going to go to class and I'm going to go straight home because I don't want to get caught up in any like competition vibe or anything like that. Um, would you say that that's kind of a big influence with some of the students you've seen? Is this maybe fear of competition or maybe blowing it out of proportion and taking it too seriously? a really good question too because it's part of it and the profession is very competitive and and cutthroat as well so you get out of law school and it's like that and it's not like that everywhere and not every firm and not every law school but um it's definitely a piece of our of our profession um and I I think a lot of students that you know a lot of the students that I've seen succeed um they've been they've gotten caught in it and it happens and a lot of times law school is like high school. It's a small and we're adults. We're not that we're not teens anymore. So we are like in that 20, you know, so we're all human. And, you know, um, so 
the competition is definitely, it's definitely there and it's something to be aware of. And if you feel yourself, you know, feeling jealous or conscientious, the best thing is to stop, tell yourself, Hey, I'm feeling this feeling. I'm going to work on this and to try and champion the success of others when someone is doing well, instead of saying, God, like what, what is it they're doing? Or I'm never going to be that good. Instead, just saying that student must've worked really hard to get what they got. If it's something catty where, you know, it's outside of that and it's just cattiness that you can walk away from, you know, you can just choose to go home, (laughs) just stay out of it and, and not contribute to, oh my gosh, I know, but, you know, and getting involved in those types of things, because that doesn't help your success and doesn't help you be a good person either. Yeah. And so if you kind of going back to um, like your nine steps that you help students with, when you have a student about to start law school or has already started it, what would be like your academic roadmap is what I'm going to call it, like your advice to them getting started? Like what, I guess, what are the first top three things that they should do that you can think of that you would tell them? Okay, so get a copy of your um, syllabi. And so um, once you have your syllabi, then so the very first thing students should do is if they're taking torts, go look at a Barbary or a Kaplan or a Themis or some kind of outline from a student that has already taken the class to just get an overview so that you have a framework in your brain that neuroplasticity is is created where you where you have a pathway um, for those neurons to fire on what the framework is, like what the bounds of torts is and what you could potentially learn. And then second, go micro and grab your syllabi and say, what does my professor specifically want me to learn in torts one or torts two or whatever class it is? And then once you know that, create a one-page checklist and say, okay, these are the main topics. I'm going to learn six of them this semester. I'm going to learn intentional torts. I'm going to learn negligence. I'm going to learn trespass, or excuse me, I'm going to learn strict liability, products liability, whatever the five or six are, right? Mm -hmm. And then once you see that it's almost calming, right? Because then it's like, then you can do the outlining reading and briefing for each main topic. Just have one outline for, for each main topic where you're reading and briefing and outlining simultaneously. And then once you have that, that topic, once you're done learning, you have no more class and no more reading on that topic. That's when the real work comes in for students. And, um, that's when you take all that information and you transform it into how you will write that information on an essay exam. And so um, figuring out, okay, putting everything in one spot is a challenge for a lot of students, some, you know, and, 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 and that doesn't mean you can't have separate briefs and separate lecture notes and separate, you know, notes from all the other readings. That's okay to do that too. That's what some students do that works for them, but just combining it into like having everything in one spot is hard for some students to see. And so once you see that, then it's easy to transform it into how you'll write it on the exam. You do the transformation. And um, then you just practice, you practice in the manner you're going to be tested using those approaches for each topic that have everything, you know, that you've considered. And then you get feedback from your professor or a study group or a Dean's fellow or a sample answer rubric, you know, that yeah. would be kind of the roadmap of how I would say to what to do for students that are starting or currently in law school. And would they basically kind of like wash and repeat for each class, essentially, and then go back to the feedback they received, perhaps on prior, even if it was a different subject, I would imagine that a lot of, I know, at least in my case, like I would receive feedback on the way that I write an essay, which I could still apply in a new class. Um, But I like that this roadmap that you're giving, you can apply it in each class, and it's very understandable to what you're supposed to do versus 
you know, the first day of school, you walk in, get your outline ready. And it's like, what, what do I do with that? You know? Um, so I like that you're laying it out. <laughs> yes. What you do. <laughs> and I think that for me, that's the piece that I wanted to give to legal education, Kimber Murray, because we're, oftentimes we'll have these great orientations at law schools and we'll start by teaching them how to write an essay, but we haven't started by teaching them with what they should be doing on day one. And yeah. so for me, it's super linear and chronological. And so start with just doing this, yeah. <laughs> get an outline, get a framework to grab your syllabi, figure out what main topics you're going to learn, organize them, outline, read and brief everything in one topic. You may have five or six different um, outlines for each class. That's perfect. It's not nine steps for the whole semester. It's nine okay. steps for every main topic that you're going to learn to so do nine things for every main topic. And then step nine, when you're writing and, you know, in step eight and getting the feedback in nine, the feedback then will go back and help you modify the approach if, if need be, so that it's specific to your professor's preferences that you can maximize the points on the exam by considering those, you know? Yeah. I love that. And in your process of creating the nine steps and working with students, have you found um, study methods that are more effective than others? Um, and on top of that, does every student actually outline or is it, do students kind of take a different approach? Because I I know a lot of students that do the typical like Roman numeral outline, like what you would expect. Uh, but for me, I found that breaking my outline down into flashcards helps me in some classes. So any thoughts or advice you might have on that would be really grateful. Oh, really <laughs> I mean, I geek out on this stuff all day long. This is like my thing. Yeah, you know, I love it. Um, <laughs> So some students in terms of outline, okay, so so some students use graphs, some use those linear Roman numeral one, A, I, all of those, those work in creating the outline. Some students don't actually create an outline. Um, what they do is they wait until they finish a topic and then they create the approach from everything that they've learned from, you know, from the readings and their briefs. They, they actually start with the approach. So mm-hmm. analytical thinkers, especially, um, they have a hard time like going step by step. They see the big picture really quickly. And so they don't like the chronological, you know, yeah. wait a minute, steps. No, no, no. I, I need this. I need this. I need this. So they, they create that. And then they create that by writing practice exams. So they kind of go step seven, step eight, then they go nine, then they go back to, you know, one reviewing outlines and help like everything will, will go into their approaches. So, um, knowing your learning preference, knowing what kind of thinker you are. And I have quizzes that can help you ascertain, you know, that information about yourself online that are quick and easy. Um, knowing that information about you, um, will help dictate how you appeal to those things when you're creating the outline, if, if that's what you do mm-hmm. or the approach, um, when you're, when you're flashcarding, um, or if you're doing a million sticky notes all over the board or the wall, um, or you're creating flow charts, linear graphs, like there's a mind mapping apps are fantastic out. I wish I had those when I was in school. Um, they're so good. Um, note-taking apps are so good, helping you just chunk information, super easy. Really? That's the goal. Kimberly chunk as much information as you can for each topic. So that when you need it, your brain goes boop, boop. And, and it just unlocks each of those different pieces of information. I don't know if I answered your question, but no, that's, that was great. I, I think what I was focusing on as you were talking or what came to mind was it can feel like as you're studying for a class, especially in this, you know, high pressure competitive atmosphere, am I studying right? 
And what I'm learning from you is like, you're, you're approaching it wrong. If you're thinking like that, it's, yeah. it, there's not necessarily like a wrong or a right method. It's more, does it work for you? So who cares if, you know, Sally is using flashcards and Tom is using an outline. It's like, which one's going to help you pass the exam. And so I, I feel like from what I'm hearing you say that that's a big perspective switch students should, you know, I'm losing all my words. Sorry. It's towards the end of the week, but should consider, you know, think, thinking from more, (laughs) I'll put it like that. And, 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 and not is, am I studying correctly? It should be, am I, do I understand the material? Yes. Do I have a deep understanding of the material? That's the gauge. That's your litmus test to figure out whether or not your, your process or your procedures are working. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there's only a limited number of them, right? But yeah. one student in my study only had two step, steps in a study process. And so it started with grab my syllabus, figure out what I need to know. And then number two was just ask questions. So he would just ask questions. I mean, he was a, um, a philosophy major in undergrad. And so he would just ponder and ponder and ponder and create hypos. And he was brilliant. And he would, we would spend three hours in office hours because we were just talking so much about learning and, and how he's learning it, you know, because that was his process. But he graduated at the top of his class because he did what worked for his brain and what he knew would help him ultimately succeed. So the Socratic method worked really well for him is what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Actually, he he wasn't a fan of the Socratic method because okay. it was too constraining for him. It was too, <laughs> he was too, uh, he, uh, he's limitless, you know, in his mind, <laughs> it, the law is limitless and fluid and, you know, and I love that it was, it's so different from the, you know, the other student who had, you know, 12 steps in their process yeah. and he was very, who, who got, who, who did just as well, but just did it their way. Yeah. And the coolest thing is everyone is doing the same things. So my whole gift or what I, what I believe is my calling and my gift in life is I just put it together and said, here's everything that you can do from the beginning to the end. And here's the linear way of doing it. Cause I can't like in writing, you know, simultaneously show you how to do what's going on in your brain. So it's, it's in linear fashion. Yeah. Let's let me now show you how to customize it to yourself. You know what I mean? So that's, yeah. that's what I wish someone would have said, like, Lace, you're failing because <laughs> you're doing 70 different things and you're studying 90 hours a week. And that wasn't working for me. And well, that actually leads me to another question I thought of is what would be your advice for time management on that front? So like, let's say students have, you know, the study methods that are working for them, uh, but for some reason they're still feeling burnt out or they're not reaching their goals. And it probably comes down to time management. What would, what would be your advice on that? And, you know, not forgetting that, Hey, you need to sleep and eat at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Students usually fall into one of two categories. They are able to sit and study an entire week's reading in one sitting, or they have to do three different subjects at two hours, two hours, and two hours. When I say studying, I'm typically meaning reading and briefing and outlining some form of outlining or creating the approach. So, um, so if, if students are finding that they're not able to in that six hours that they allocated, you know, maybe a full Saturday is I'm not going to give myself a time frame. I'm just going to say Saturday, I'm not going to go to bed till my con law reading or evidence reading is done. Right. Um, then we have to start looking at, well, why are you tired? Is it because this isn't your peak performance time during the day? You're, a, you're actually a night person and you're forcing yourself to study in the morning. Um, asking those types of questions. Um, are you really the type of student that needs to get up and have breaks in between? 
Like, does a, would a break help you get back in focus? Do you have social media up? What are you doing? Like in, while you're studying, that's pulling your attention away and like dragging this out. You know, why is it taking so long? Is it a reading comprehension issue? And if so, then we have read speed drills that we can increase your reading comprehension and get you to the 250 words per minute that you should be in law school. Right. It's like, it's, it's just a matter of finding again, going back to what specifically, how do you like to learn? Do you like to sit forever and just get it done? Or do you want to like plan it? All I care about is that you plan it. And so if you don't finish, you know, you still have 20 pages to read, then you have that schedule for what your week looks like. And you finish those 20, you put those 20 pages in the week and you don't go, you, you can't, you can't move past and do the next work until you finish that. You know, you can't, you just can't, it's going to yeah. snowball if you do. Yeah. And that, you know, leads me to my final question, actually, the, the, let's say a student snowballing, right. Or they, maybe they had a personal setback of some sort. Maybe it was a personal home issue um, or just, you know, a bad season. Uh, what would be your advice to a student who's trying to come back after a life interruption, whether it's academic, mental, emotional, or physical? Say love yourself and let yourself feel all those things. And the moment that you tell yourself, I can't feel this, I got to focus on law school, the longer you're going to extend the, the inability to focus. You have to address life. Law students have to address their lives. You can't ignore it. And it's, it's going to just build inside of you and then it's going to come out raging. And that's not a good thing. You know, I've seen it happen. It's happened in my office a lot, you know, because it's a safe space for people to be, um, and to exist and to be themselves, Kimber Marie. And so, um, let yourself feel it. And then when you have felt it, you know, and you've gone through the emotion and you're ready to get back at it, then you need to get into planning mode and you need to create a list of all of the assignments that were not completed during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, or figure out, do you need to take a, do you need to take a leave for the rest of the semester or for the semester? Is that the best option for me? If I'm two, four, if I'm seven weeks behind, right. Or can I catch up in seven weeks? Some students can, you know? Yeah. So, um, those kinds of questions, you know, um, leave, um, and, and really just plan out, create that list of what wasn't done. And then you have to fit it into every week leading up to the final exam. And I would be curious to know for the students that, um, you know, do end up deciding, okay, maybe I do need time away from school. I would imagine that that could be a very hard decision to make. Um, And maybe it's not for some people, maybe they're just like, no, that's what I need right now. Um, But I have seen some students kind of, you know, make that decision, but it's maybe not, they're not happy about it and they don't want to share it. So what would be your advice in kind of, I guess, working through that process? Like, making the decision and then kind of being proud of it because you're doing what you need. Yeah. Beautiful way to put that. My, what I do is I say, okay, you have a week and a half or two weeks to come to the decision, just make the decision. And whatever your decision is, is what you decided. So love it. And it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, not every single lawyer went straight through. We've had, you know, not every lawyer passed the bar the first time. So our timeline isn't, it's this tiny little drop of time in reality. And no one cares. Once you get out of law school, no one's going to be asking you about any of that. No, I see you took a leave of that, you know, or yeah. hmm, how many times did you take the bar exam? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like we, we just don't really talk about that. And um, it's not something that comes up because it's just really irrelevant in practice because we all can get our JD and we're all doing the same thing. We're all capable of doing that. So for that student, you know, really just, um, 
kind of like I said. Awesome. And before uh, I let you go, I have been wanting to start asking like the same question to my guests at the end of every podcast, uh, just to see what their response are. The overarching theme for it is resilience. And I would love to know what your number one tip would be to someone who is trying to become more resilient or kind of express, like exercise that muscle more in their life. What would be the biggest piece of advice you could give someone who's trying to become a more resilient person? Jump straight in and no holds barred. Nothing should hold you back in this life. And so you are your only, you are the only barrier stopping yourself. So, um, let up and give it a try and fail. You should fail. You should be, failure should be a precursor to something great coming. Like you need to train yourself that when it gets challenging, that means I'm on the verge of something really good, you know? And so like, I kind of shared with you, like I'm, I'm ready to launch a new course that I'm, I'm really excited about, but it has been, it has been so much of my time and effort and blood, sweat and tears that I put into it. And there've been nights where it's, you know, two o'clock in the morning and I'm prepping it because I want it to be so good for students. And I've told myself when I'm feeling it, saying you, you know, the feeling, you know, the feeling temporary, like when you're, you know, I just pause and my natural response now, because I've, I've worked this muscle so much is you're just onto something great. You're just on the precipice of something really great. And if it's not great, then you're going to figure out why, and you're going to assess and you're going to redo it. Yeah. It's really simple as that. Awesome. Full throttle. That's my advice. Oh, I love that. I love that a lot. Where can um, our listeners uh, reach you? And you just mentioned a new course that's coming up soon. Do you have any details on that if they're interested? I do. This is my brand new baby. This is my baby. It's coming out. It's called the Law School Operating System. And and it's everything that I've learned in my, you know, my 20 years of being in the legal field and working with thousands of students nationwide and teaching professors across the country and just really trying to understand how to help students in the best way. Um, it's the nine-step study process, broken down, defined, exa- tons of examples for every learning preference, customized to, to any learning preference or thinking preference, um, with action steps on what to do with each step, like right now in the moment. Um, it shows you how to schedule every study step into every week of every semester, so it alleviates that anxiety. And we really dig in um, to the metacognitive and um, learning preferences and customization. Um, those are those are big in this one because that's what students are asking me for. Awesome. So it is available uh, in September, the recorded version. I teach it live all the time. You can email me at lisa at lssisuccess.com. Um, and get a hold of me. I'm on LinkedIn. I give daily study tips and encouragement. I try to be there for every law student and respond on LinkedIn. I'd love for you to follow me and and um, we can set up office hours where I can teach it live or you can purchase it recorded and self-paced in uh, about in September. Awesome. And to the listener, I highly recommend following her on LinkedIn. Very helpful tips and an extremely kind person. Um, and I'm not just saying that because <laughs> as she knows, I had a little bit of a breakdown earlier this year and I was like, I'm going to reach out to her, even though I've never, you know, we've never really spoken before that outside of just commenting, I think, in passing. And your advice was very helpful at that time and a very supportive voice. So I know that the work you're doing is very helpful. And yeah, we're just very grateful for your presence on LinkedIn and what you're doing. I, you just made my entire week. Thank you. It's <laughs> a lot. I really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you for speaking with me today. And um, I'm sure we'll talk again, but 
Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care. And there it is. That was the discussion with Lisa. Again, I really enjoyed that one. I think she takes a very holistic and meaningful, but also practical approach to academic success and academic resilience. Uh, it's really more about how do we learn in general. It's not just looking at what subjects we're studying or what programs we're in. If you enjoy reading, writing, anything that's considered academic, I feel like this episode could be applicable to you because at the end of the day, I think something that all people should be is a lifelong student. We're constantly learning from one another, from the sources that we take in every single day, whether it's Instagram, online, through TV, podcasts like this one, um, and also our interactions with other people. So I really do think that the practical advice that she gave in this in terms of creating study plans, figuring out what kind of learner you are, how to overcome setbacks uh, in life that tend to infiltrate our academic or maybe even career goals is very, very helpful. Um, and just to give a little, I guess, backstory very quickly on my own setback, uh, I know what it's like to have a setback uh, that has nothing to do with school, really, but because of that setback, it affects my schooling or it affects my job. And that is very hard because especially when you are setting boundaries, whether it's with coworkers or other students, you know, or even professors, like how much do you share? We don't want them to think that, you know, we're coming up with excuses, but if we don't share what's fully going on, they may not understand where you're coming from. And so that's a very hard position to be in. And that's why I appreciate Lisa's insight on giving grace to ourselves, you know, giving grace, especially when we make mistakes, when we're figuring things out as we go, that is life. And I feel like we live in a society where it's very easy to think that we're supposed to have all our shit together. We're supposed to know what we're supposed to know. Um, but that's not, that's just not the case. That's not actual reality. And every adult that I have talked to, that I've come into contact with, every single one of them has something going on in their life where they're just at at odds with how to solve it, with how to move forward. So it's not weird to have a setback, whether it's academically or personally. Um, so, you know, with that being said, I hope that if you are in a season of life that is like that, that you have grace with yourself. And I think on a day-to-day -day basis, what does that look like? It just means taking it day by day. You know, if you make a mistake, learn from it. Uh, if it's a mistake where it warrants an apology to someone, go and apologize and move on and seek to do better. That's all we can do. So don't beat yourself up because you didn't know something or because you you tried and failed. You know, um, The only way that we can learn from our mistakes is if we make the mistakes in the first place. And every time you try, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to fail every time or make a mistake every time. Sometimes it'll be a success. And the recurring theme in every single one of these is that you have to take action to figure out whether it's going to be a mistake or a success. Regardless of what the outcome is, it is something you can learn from. So again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, comment, subscribe, follow all the things that professional content creators say at this point in the podcast. I hope you loved it. Reach out if you have any suggestions and have a great day.